Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Real special presentation by one of uh, our world changers, uh, Yoa Ruiz, um, and he is a professional painter. Uh, the Lord has gifted him uh, an incredible gifting and um, calling to express his message uh, to the world through his gift. Um, it's a powerful thing to work on your gift. How, how, many, how many have a gift? Raise your hand if you have a gift. Okay, now, now watch this. Ready? We all have a gift, so let's all raise our hands, right? And... Um, a real interesting story about being able to present our gifts in a magnificent way. Um, I was, uh, one of my favorite verses, you guys know that Pastor has a lot of favorite verses, um, is found in the book of Proverbs, and it says like this, and you guys put it on the screen for me, Proverbs eighteen sixteen. Very important. There's a lot of people are looking for open doors. And what opens a door for a man's life is not what he takes or what he gets. Listen, very important. If you're going to be a world changer, you understand that it's not the getting and the taking. The world teaches you to get and to take. But God teaches you it's what a man gives that will open doors for him. Your generosity and the abundance of your kindness just opens doors in an incredible way. Um, my law practice, what, what I was known in town, was for giving people uh, a lot of good advice and giving people answers to their problems. And so the office filled up because everybody would say, go to Joaquin, he's going to give you what you need. And uh, other attorneys were taking. Every time a, a client came in, they were like, okay, I'm going to take, and I'm going to take, and I'm going to take. But the attitude of a man of God and a world changer is that what he gives is what's going to make room for him. And uh, even as of two days ago, one of the members, one of our world-changing members, because you're sitting against, uh, uh, next to some real incredible people, um, he was working on a project at work, and his, his boss said, I want you to prepare a five-minute presentation. Imagine this. You hear these words from the guy that you work for or for an opportunity you have. I want you to share five minutes of a presentation on this issue. And so he put it together, and there's two types of people. There's the type of people that says, what does this guy think he is? He wants me to do the five-minute presentation. And why, why do I have to do it? Why doesn't Johnny do it? Why doesn't Steve do it? And, and people are upset. But he went to work and started preparing his five-minute presentation. So this man put him in a car and says, now we're going to go drive across town. And when they drove across town and they went into this big house to prepare this five-minute presentation, this happened two days ago. And when they opened the door, the president of the United States was sitting in that room. And it was five-minute presentation to Obama in Miami. And so I'm wondering, what would have you presented? 
What would you have done in those five minutes that you were given? You probably a bad presentation, somebody else do it. I can't believe I'm stuck with this. And you have the opportunity to sit before the man's, one of the world's most important men to give your gift. And your gift is unwrapped, unprepared, unchallenged. You probably didn't tuck in your shirt that day. You probably didn't wear your best suit, your best shirt because you thought it was nothing, and it happened to be Obama. And this happened to Chris, uh, who's on our worship team, Chris Lee Reyes, who works for a foundation here in the city of Miami. And his boss is here in the city of Miami, and a back room says, prepare a five-minute presentation that you're going to be able to give to somebody. And he never knew it was going to be the president of the United States. So here it is. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. How many are glad they're in the house of God today and are receiving some powerful wisdom? You know, it's worth it to come to the house of God, where God opens the heavens and showers you with his thoughts and his goodness. And so without further ado, Mr. Yoa, world changer here, extraordinaire, is going to present um, something real special to the church. God bless you. Maybe? Okay. So if you would have told me six months ago I would have been up here, there, there were a lot of things I thought were more likely than me being up here on a stage with the microphone in my hand, you know, talking to a bunch of people at a church, no less. Um, we were invited to this church by Michelle, who snuck up on the front row today. Uh, she's been bringing people here left and right, and she, she really is the, the, the source of the, of the world changing, because she... And so about six months, I'm new at this, so you got to bear with me. Uh, about six months ago, uh, we walked in here for many different reasons, but one of them was that uh, my sister-in-law was going through some issues, some marital problems, and we kind of realized that we couldn't afford to have that happen to us, to myself and my wife. Um, so we kind of came in under that pretense that we thought this was going to strengthen our relationship, and... What ended up happening <clears throat> when I walked in that door just shook, shook me at my core. It just shook my foundation of, of who I am <clears throat> and what I believe. Um, My sister had um, passed away last year. Last year in August, um, she was diagnosed eight months earlier <clears throat> with, uh, with osteosarcoma, which is a, a form of a, it's a form of a bone cancer. <clears throat> And throughout the whole process of her being sick, um, we had started a foundation, and I had kind of taken the lead <clears throat> on a lot of the things we were trying to do um, to get her saved. And I had really committed myself that, <clears throat> you know, she was going to make it. And, you know, obviously that God had, had different plans. And 
throughout the whole process, even when we went to her funeral, I never really grieved and I never really let it go. And I had that rock on my back, you know, and I feel like oftentimes we're walking around life, you know, we got a hundred pound backpack strapped onto our backs, you know, especially the guys and we feel it and we're strong enough and we can carry it. You know what, no matter how strong you are, man, you go one block, two blocks, three blocks carrying those hundred pounds and we're not meant to live life that way. And I walked in that door and Claudio and the worship team were singing a song that said, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. And I said, wow, man, how powerful is God that at my weakest point, I'm literally crying and he can make me dance at the same time because again we're not meant to carry that load and we've been coming back ever since and you know we we don't plan on going anywhere and the the way I kind of see it is like the second I walk through those doors I get to take off that book bag Um, And so I know, uh, you know, a lot of us here, everybody follows sports and we're into football and whatnot. So, you know, in football, like, right, when you go to score a touchdown, they have a a rule that's called, like, the plane of the field, meaning that as long as the ball passes that mark, even if your whole body doesn't go in, you score a touchdown, you get the points. So that's kind of how I see it, man. The second you walk in that door and you look at that cross and you understand that we're not meant to carry that weight, you know, and all of us have things that we've been carrying for years and years and years and years. And we're not meant to live life that way. You know, we're not strong enough to hold it, but he's strong enough to hold all our issues and more. I had a few verses here. Um, One of the, the really cool things I found about being in this church and reading the Bible for the first time in my life is that you really find truth to everything that you're dealing with within that book. Um, so speaking to that weight in, in 1 Peter verse 5, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And again, we, we're just not built that way. You know, we're not machines. We're not meant to walk around holding that in forever. Uh and so at the same time, in as far as my career goes, I had been, I've been a professional artist for like six or seven years now, and I've been able to do some really cool things. Um, but I found myself kind of looking to always reinvent, you know, what I was doing. And I came to the conclusion that I was trying to please a lot of people, you know, and, and it's impossible, especially with something like art, for you to get everybody to, to agree on something. Um, so I found another verse in First Thessalonians. First oh, Thessalonians two verse four that says, "On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts." And you know, especially for all the young people here, you know, we spend so much effort trying to impress you know, the, the, the cool guy in the class or whatever other people are doing. But it says it here clearly that that's not what we're supposed to go after. You know, we're supposed to please God and everything else is, will take care of itself. So, so the first painting I brought here is basically the, the last painting I was working on before I walked through these doors. 
And I brought it not because there's anything wrong with this painting. You know, it's still, I was still working on it at the time. But I brought it just to show that I found myself, again, with all the success I had had and with everything I had done, I found myself trying to adapt my work. And my work is really a reflection of who I am. And I found myself trying to adapt it to conform to other people's notions or whatever they thought I should be doing. Um, and now we're going to show uh, a quick little video. And I'm going to show you guys what I've been working on for the last uh, few months, give or take. And the video, um, Ariel, who's standing back there with the black shirt, he's, his gift is with this video making. He also plays uh, the drums here in the, in the worship team. And he's been blessed in a, in a huge way uh, with that talent. So I just wanted to acknowledge Ariel, too, for helping me put it together. So if we could put up the short video, please. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we stand real quick because God's not finished with this gentleman yet. And he has great purpose and significance. Come over here, Yoah. Extend your hands this way. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness upon this world-changing prince, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that you 
Bestow from the heavens and make it abound, Lord, that what the enemy tried to steal, Lord, that you might make it ever abound for your glory upon the face of the earth, Lord. And we believe, O oh God, that the best is yet to come for Yoah, his family, his lineage, O oh God, that he will glorify your name upon the earth, O oh God. Your promise is that your glory would fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, Lord. And we believe that this man is part of that assignment, Father God. So, Father... Um, uh, aside from the setbacks and the adversary and all the things that he has faced that have challenged his going forward, we declare it finished because what you have said about this man shall be fulfilled and come to pass, O oh God. And we pray, Father God, that you would establish in him the strength, the encouragement, the refreshing in your presence, Lord, to continue to fulfill the calling that you've placed upon his life, Lord, to glorify you through his talent, through his gifting. And we know, Father, that you have created every man to crown him with glory and honor and father we shall see this come to pass in the coming days months and years lord and we declare it so and the body of christ says yes and amen, amen. in jesus name we pray hallelujah hallelujah praise god amen we'll give thanks to god for your life you could imagine the challenges that this young man has faced uh, as he is uh, coming up against everything else that's a description of, of the art world, that the last prize that was celebrated here recently in these type of, of affairs was they grabbed a crucifix of Jesus Christ, they stuck it in a bottle full of urine, and they called that art. A, a crucifix in a, in, a, in a transparent glass, a bowl of urine, and, and that's to desecrate. That is, that is to take away that which is holy and make it super unclean. And so this is what the world is celebrating. So that's why it's coming up against us strong. Um, the, the words that are used in the scripture for those that will serve Christ. The Bible says in John 15, 19... It says, if, uh, and this word is for you, Yoah, if you belong to the world, the world would treat you with affection and would love you as its own. Let's put that up on the screen. John 15, 19. If you accepted to uh, become profane and, and uh, if you embraced profanity and pornography and lewdness and lasciviousness, the, the, they would say, wow, what a, what a Rembrandt. What uh, Picasso, you know, everything twisted, everything dark. Um, if you would have continued with your first paintings, right, dark, dim, despair, no hope, then the world would love you. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. My friend, if the world is celebrating you, you're on the wrong team. If the world is giving you a thumbs up, because you lie, you cheat, you steal, you're in the wrong direction. And so we're going against the tide, and um, I believe that this morning is going to be a special time together. Um, I believe this morning God uh, tells us we're one in a million. Let's go ahead and watch this video, and, and God has a message. Let's, first, let's go ahead and dismiss our children back to Sunday school um, with their Sunday school teachers. I want to say something real quick before uh, we get into this video. Yesterday, uh, my oldest son is at FIU, and he has to do an assignment. 
for his world religion class, and he had to visit a uh, temple of a false god, a Buddhist temple, a Hare Krishna temple, uh, uh, Santeria, something along those lines. So um, for years I have known that there is a Hare Krishna temple in Coconut Grove, and I told him, let's go over there, and uh, we talked to the main uh, Hare Krishna minister. But before doing that, um, I, I actually, Christina came with us, my daughter, who's 13, and my oldest son. We covered ourselves with the blood of Jesus, you know. <laughs> want to make sure that when you're in a spiritual, crazy scenario, you say, Jesus, cover me with your blood. Cover me. Cover me with your blood. So those demons can't come near and can't sow seeds. So we went over there. In fact, I'm going to let Nick come here and share that testimony. Come here and, and tell us what you saw, because um, really important what happened yesterday. But before, I, before I, I sat down with the gentleman, I told my children like this, and this is important. This is the part I want you to grasp. I said, the last question I will ask this gentleman is, why did he get into this false religion? And he's going to answer and I told my kids this just so they knew. I said, he's going to answer because my parents didn't take our Christian church serious. That means you're in a church now. Your children are going back to Sunday school. They're learning about the things of God. When they go home, they get to see the reality of a real Christian. And when they don't, they're going to say like this, I'm going to go join a false religion because Christianity is a fraud. It's not real. And I can say it's not real. They will say because my parents were not real Christians. As I talked to a young man this weekend, he's about eight years old. And I sat him next to me. And I started talking to him, how's your life with the Lord? He says, well, my parents are getting, or got divorced. And the Bible says God hates divorce. So he's reading something in the Bible. And he's seeing his supposedly Christian parents doing what the Bible says that God hates. So that, that really messes with a child. I had a four-year-old little boy run up to me this week and says, hey, Dad, uh, Pastor, my mom left my house. And she didn't tell me where she went. It's four years old. So that is a travesty. But let me tell you something. As I told my children, this man will tell us that before he got into the Hare Krishnas, his two parents took him to church, but they were not real in their experience with Christ. So when he was 19, he joined the Hare Krishnas, and now he's 56, and he's still there as the head leader of a false religion, filling his brain with a lot of junk. So yesterday we had an occasion, and I'll let Nick share about his experience in that, in that field trip there. Um, it's, this whole, the reason that we went to this place and everything is because that day, uh, I had to turn in a paper for my world religions class, and uh, one of the requirements was for me to go and visit um, a religion or a temple other than my faith. And so um, we went to the, it just happened that we just picked this one through like different circumstances or whatever, but we went to the Hare Krishnas in Coconut Grove. And uh, when we got there, um, we had prayed in the car before because when you're going into spiritual warfare, you want to make sure that you guys are covered before you go into a, a place full with, like, demonic darkness and all that stuff because anything can atta uh, attach itself on you and you'll be done for. But um, anyway, so we get there and uh, we walk inside 
and it, when I while I was walking around, like when I don't know, since since I had been, you know, um, I'm so accustomed to to having so much peace and 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 having this, you know, a feeling of of protection over me, of covering. You could just feel like when you walk into there. I don't know. I felt it, but when I walked in there, you just feel like this depression, like this 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 like um like what Yo was saying, like a like a a burden on your back, like like something's not right. But uh, anyways, we walked in, and uh, you know, you smell the incense, and and you and you see all the different um, the different symbols and icons they have in there. They had uh, like they look like dolls that they have. They're called deities that they're like idols for them. And um, when we got there, we're looking for the guy, and we just see in the middle of like an empty room. It's kind of like imagine like walking into church, but no chairs, because they sit on the floor, and that's where they do their thing. And then in the middle, like right here, they would have they had like this this man a man was there and they were like chanting and there was music and like a bunch of weird stuff so we walked in and and um when we look uh the guy from the back like he looked like he was chanting or something so my dad walks up to him and i see my dad take out his phone and he it looked like he was gonna take a picture of the guy and i thought my dad was gonna take a, a picture of the guy chanting and it turned out the guy was a statue they had like their their leader their their reincarnation of their god in that time like he had passed away or something, so they put like a memorial of him for them, but it looks super weird. So I guess uh, then they had like flowers there for him. And um, anyways, so nobody was there. So when we're about to leave, um, a car pulls up, and then we're like, oh, maybe this, it's a, it's a, somebody that works here. So when he gets out, you see, I'm expecting, you know, a short Hindu man, an Indian man, you know, like with the robe and everything. And then all of a sudden, I see this tall American guy. And he has, like, a, a line across his face, and he has um, a shaved head with, like, a patch of hair back here. And uh, we asked, hey, sir, I'm doing a report. Is that my, do you mind if we ask him some questions? So we asked him a couple questions. Uh, he, he's like, sure, we'll sit down here. We sat down. We start talking. And um, my dad said, I, the last question we're going to ask him is what he was before uh, he became a Hare Krishna. So we asked him, you know, different questions like, what are your fundamental beliefs? What do you guys view as your highest authority and all this stuff? But um, the main, it was, like, really sad, too, like, seeing a, a man that had, because in everything that they told me and everything he told me, the, the one thing he never was able to mention that they had something is that, yeah, we're, we're constantly giving to our idols, we're kindly giving to our deities and all that stuff, but he had no, uh, no source of hope. Like, we're doing this with the expectation that we have a salvation in Jesus Christ and we're going to be able to, you know, one day be with him, but the whole time he was just saying, like, He's doing all this stuff, and then he never mentioned for what. It was all just, like, to gain knowledge and to get peace. Um, the Hindus believe in something called nirvana, which is, like, the ultimate peace, the ultimate, like, that's, like, the reason that they meditate on that stuff. But he didn't have anything to look forward to, you know. And then uh, at the end, when he said um, that, he was a, that he had been a Christian, but that the reason, like, not the reason, but he said he enjoyed it, and he enjoyed the faith and stuff like that, but he never said that. Um, he said he, he let go to it and that he decided to follow the Hare Krishna. And uh, it all goes back to the fact that when he went back home, the, even though his parents would take him to church, he didn't have that image of what a man was or what a family was at his home. So that really, like, that was a tremendous blessing for me that, you know, um, my dad said it a couple, a couple weeks ago in men's group. He said um, uh, somebody had asked him, hey, pastor, is it okay if my kids watch VeggieTales at home? And my dad said, there's no problem with people watching, with your kids watching VeggieTales at home as long as the tomato and the cucumber are showing your sons what a real man is instead of you. 
If they're more Christian than what you're acting, then there's going to be a problem. And that's basically what it is. If we're here at church and we're walking through those doors and then when we go back home and it's all fake, that's going to destroy, like, our, our inheritance, our legacy, and all that stuff. And that's what happened to this man. So hopefully, um, you know, it's crazy. He said something about he has to mark his body 12 times with 12 different lines across his body as a symbol of his body being a temple to those spirits, as like an, uh, um, a receiving to those spirits. And then he also said that... Um, he had to uh, oh depending on how he dressed and how uh, how he shaved his head uh changed his consciousness and his his reality and how he thought and um he had said that I forgot one thing that he said I forgot but anyways he just he he like basically he was doing all these things in an attempt to find what we have, but he was just doing it all the wrong time oh um when you join this religion and you become a priest, um, they automatically change your identity by changing your name. His name was um, Dharma. his name was Dharma. They they changed his name to Dharma Das, and his real name was Gary Tanis. So, Im- like immediately, when when you decide to follow after you know things that you think are gonna satisfy you, automatically changes what you are and what you are in Christ. And that was another thing that's like very eye opening in that. Um, when we're in Christ, we know who we are, and we know what, what we're going to do, and we have our, our, our direction. But when we're outside of where God's path is, and we think we're going in the right direction, you know, we end up like this guy with no identity, no, no direction, no, no place of peace, no, no happiness in, in his search for, for nirvana or whatever. So that was, that was a tremendous experience. You know, um, I'll be praying for Gary Tannis, and hopefully he'll realize that, you know, he is somebody. He's not just a Dharma Das or just somebody like that because everybody is Dharma Das. Like, they all have their names to Dharma after, that they're like nobody. They're, they're just like everybody else. But um, just know that, you know, he's someone special and that God cares for him and God loves him and God has a plan for him and not to uh, burn incense all day. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. The, what the devil did to the young men in the old days was to change their name to steal their spiritual inheritance and their identity. And in this religion, the first thing they do when they initiate you into the religion is change your name. And so um, what a sad scenario how uh, what parents think is not important early in life becomes a travesty of an inheritance to their children down the road. Um, and so I told Gary that we weren't there on this trip to witness to him because uh, there was a project that Nick had to turn in, but that we would be by again, and then we would talk to him and share uh, what we have learned and what we have received from the Lord. Um, but truly, it's, it's, it's crazy um, how um, a parent's attitude um, in a short period of time will affect the destiny of his children for the rest of his life. And, and that ought not to be. So we take our Sunday school super serious here. And the seeds we're sowing, we believe, are going to raise up these world-changing uh, men and, and women of God. Um, let's pray this morning uh, for the Word of God, and then we'll show the video we have. Father, we thank you, O oh God, for what you have for us this day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad for the abundance of your love towards us, Lord. And even in the house of God, we've been refreshed already. We have received your goodness, and we give you the glory, the honor, the power, 
all praise be to you, O God, that you might continue to do a work in our lives and that we might surrender wholeheartedly to follow you, to obey you, to receive your portion and inheritance in this life, Lord. And let nothing distract us and chain us and bind us up to not receive the reality of your fullness towards us and allow your Holy Spirit to saturate our lives and allow your name to be lifted up over us, Lord, and you be exalted. And we just shout hallelujah to your name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've been in the church as long as I can remember. My earliest memories are of being on a pew, sitting amongst godly people who were sitting underneath incredible teaching of God's word. I've been in the church as long as I can remember. My earliest memories are of being on a pew, sitting amongst godly people who were sitting underneath incredible teaching of God's word, wonderful praise and worship music. I love church. The problem is often for you, if you're like me, is that we can sit on the pews of our church, but not actually experience what we're learning here. I've, I've read so much about God throughout the scriptures and heard so much about him being taught to me as I've sat in Bible studies and on the pews of my church. But I wanted to experience this God, this God who had the power to divide the Red Sea in the Old Testament, this God who had the power in the New Testament to raise Lazarus from the dead. This same God was supposed to be speaking to me, teaching to me, making himself relevant to me in my regular life, in the regular rhythms of my everyday living, and it wasn't happening. John 10.10, 10, he says, listen, I came that you might not just have life, but that you might have it abundantly. And if he came to give abundant life, abundant life is what I'm after. It all began when God directed me to this home Bible study group, a little living room packed with people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different colors, different denominations. And let me tell you something, my little theological box that I didn't even know I had, that little box was rattled. When these believers who knew and had experienced different things about God became part of my life, my eyes were open to see God in a brand new way. I was anticipating more out of God than I'd ever anticipated before. Because when I walked into that little home, I knew that I was standing underneath an open heaven. I could feel almost the tangible presence of God. I was hearing him with clarity. The, the scriptures were exploding with revelation. I would see believers pray about a miracle they needed in their life. And then the next week they'd come back and talk about the miracle that God had performed. And then God started performing miracles in my life. I was seeing evidence of him on a regular basis. And let me tell you, once you start experiencing God, you are ruined for everything else.
What we've garnered on the pew, it's supposed to move out onto the pavement. It's supposed to be a part of the regular rhythms of our everyday existence. You know, it's kind of like the children of Israel. There were two million Hebrew people that were enslaved in Egypt. Two million people that got free. Two million people that were offered the opportunity to walk on promised land soil. In other words, to experience what God had offered them. Two million people had the chance. And do you know that of the original two million Jewish people, only two actually ever made it? That's one in a million. Well, man, if there's only going to be a handful of people experiencing what we've learned on the pew, if there's only going to be a handful, well, then I want one of those to be me. And I'm assuming you want one to be you, too. I think God wants to give it to us so we can do it together, you and me, one in a million. of thousands of people that live upon the earth and they're not finding God, they're not finding their existence and purpose in God is really overwhelming, especially when we have been called to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel. And in one certain instant uh, in Psalm 51, we have, we have David saying, Lord, I'm not going to be able to share your good news until you restore to me. This is Psalm 51, verse 12. If you do not restore to me the joy of this salvation and fill me with a generous portion of your spirit, because you cannot give something if you have a small piece of it, but when it's abundant in your life, then you share it. And you're able to expound it. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and let your spirit be generous upon me. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressions, uh, transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to you. People will not receive from what you what you do not have. People cannot be transformed and come unless they are able to share. And so... With the abundance of people in these last days, everybody running uh, to their own way, I was stricken by the recent weeks when we were, uh, we just passed the Halloween holidays, and, and one of our preachers got up here and said these words, and it really struck me as odd. He says, just imagine that Satan were real, because we're living like he's not. And so to stand in the church and to be a preacher and have to tell people, just think what it would look like if the devil were real, means that the consciousness of our generation doesn't treat the devil like if he's real, doesn't really see him. Like what my son said just now, cover yourself with the blood of Jesus so those things won't come into your life. Yet we walk into every situation thinking it's unfazed, it's not going to touch us. The leprosy of this world is not going to infect us. And the truth of the matter is, the Bible is filled with verses saying, don't go near to these guys. Second Timothy chapter 3, I believe it's verse 5. He says, in the last days men will be wicked. It says, from such people turn away 
because they don't love God. They're not walking with God. They're not listening to God. They're not hearing his word. They're not honoring him. Have nothing to do with these people. And yet we continue to embrace these people, hang out with these people, converse with these people, and and have the same footing, the likes and passions. We're not to be looking at worldly magazines to find out what the worldly fashions are so we can put them on our person so that we can be attractive according to the world. Because what is pleasing to the world is an abomination to God. And right now in Europe, men are wearing high heels. And so it makes you want to think what men are going to look like here in 10 and 15 years. It says that'll never happen. Well, look at them now with earrings, with their hair looking like if, if somebody else did their due instead of honoring their parents. And so here it is. We're living in a million, million uh, people surrounded by all sorts of people in every direction. And the Lord is calling us. And, and it's without any... He doesn't apologize for calling you to be one amongst a million. One, that you would be different. And that's how it was in the life of Caleb. And we read it last week in Numbers chapter 24, verse 14. I'm sorry, Numbers 14, verse 24. Numbers 14, 24. He says, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. He's not allowing the spirits that were in the realm of even the multitude that left Egypt infect him. When everybody was saying, no, let's not go to the promised land because there's giants over there. It's hard. We look like little insects before huge giants. And he didn't see it that way. He says, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. I challenge you to be filled with a different spirit. The spirit of the age is an apathy, a cynical, a boring spirit. I'm bored. Nothing to do. And the face is, is really sad and warped and bitter. But this man had a different spirit and has followed me fully. The Lord knows if you're following him with a quarter tank, a half tank, or you're ready to go the whole way. And so be filled with his presence. Be filled. Um, I asked this gentleman yesterday, this, this senior minister for the last 30 years of South Florida, uh, Harry Krishna movement. If you had, the last question I asked him. If you had a thousand of these 18-year-old students that are at FIU, my son being a freshman in the university and having to do this assignment, if you had a thousand of these young men in an auditorium and you were to tell them one sentence, you were to tell them one main thing that would help them, you know, live life after you've been doing this Uh, he's 50 something years old after you've been doing this since 1970 and and you've learned all the you're an authority of this religion what one thing would you tell these young men that would help them live life fully and significantly and satisfied what's that one thing main thing In an auditorium of a thousand university students that are all trying to figure out what they're going to do in this world, what would you tell them? 
And he's like, I, I guess I, I, I would tell them to, to chant Hare Krishna all the time, just a lot of times. And I was like, wow. Wow, that's deep. That's really going to help. That's really going to help in this world. And so we having the ability to praise the King of Glory. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! To be able to shout. He says that's the main thing in our religion. Call upon the name of all the false gods continually. Ding, 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 ding. Harry Christ. And they, they're chanting their false gods. They mark their bodies. He says, I'm, every morning I, I present myself and I mark myself all of 12 marks upon my body. And I say, this body is for you guys to do whatever you want. That's how the false devotees offer themselves up to God. To the false gods. And, and us Christians, we roll out of bed and we walk away and we have no significance, no purpose. We don't mark ourselves. We don't set ourselves apart. We don't, we, they don't know us in Miami as world changers. They know me. But what do they know about you where you work amongst your friends? Do you turn into a chameleon five times a day laughing with those who laugh at dirty jokes, drinking with those who drink, fornicating with those who fornicate? What gathering do you find yourself in? Because God is looking for one amongst a million. And he says, this Caleb who fully served me, who had a different spirit in him. Every time there was an opposition, Caleb stood up and said, no, that's not what God has said. That's not what God has promised. And so God is looking for us to be different. Love that verse. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him to the land which I want for him. I will bring him into the land in which he has come. Him and his descendants after him. In Numbers 32 verse 11, he says, Surely none of the men who came out of Egypt that were over the age of 20 will come into the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they have not wholly followed me not one of anybody over 20 years old will come into the purpose of God because they have a half heart when they're around worldly people they act worldly when they're around non-christians they act like non-christians they don't stand out they don't break through and God is seeing this God is observing from the heavens verse 12 except Caleb that was his testimony throughout his life. This is 30 chapters later. He says, except Caleb the son of Junev, the Kenesite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they wholly followed the Lord. That was their testimony. They filled themselves to not miss a beat. Whenever God's people were gathered, they were gathered. Whenever they uh, were taking the land, they wanted the best of the land. Numbers 14.10 when they stood up to say, we want what God wants, everybody decided that they would pick up rocks and kill Caleb. How do you like that for a little persecution? It's not going to be easy to be a real Christian. All, say with me, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Let's, let's stone these guys. You know why? 
they condemn us. They want God for real. They want a personal relationship with God. The message today, and we saw it in the video, is there's a whole bunch of people here this morning. But who are the ones that God is not looking at the multitude? He's not looking at the crowd. He's not looking at the ones that are, that are just doing this because part of... No, they want God bad. They want God now. They, got, they want God real. They want God. They want God's spirit to speak to them. They want the presence to come over their lives. And everyone else hated them for it. And they were part of the people of God. We talked about it last week when we said that there was all sorts of people in the multitude. There was all sorts of people. There were the leaders. There were the elders. There were the priests. There were the people who listened. The people that had their own ideas. The people that rebelled. The people that compromised. The people that were mixed people. They were mixed in the multitude. They were vulgar. They were disordered. They didn't listen. They didn't follow. They didn't conquer the land. They didn't fight the battles of the Lord. They had other measures. They had other balance. If you're not coming in the midweek meetings, you're missing the glory of God. You know why you're missing it? Because you don't want it. You don't have an appetite for God. God is pouring out every time His people gather. And we meet twice a week for teaching now we're, we got the Friday nights thank God there was um, 27 new Christians coming out on Friday night to say we want to be discipled we want to learn the ways of the Lord we want more than what we're getting on Sunday and Wednesday we want to know the word of God we want to rightly divide the word of God we want to live according to the parameters of God's goodness we're tired of being plundered and stripped and wiped out and following after the proverbial carrot in front of the donkey's nose. You know what I'm talking about. The devil hangs out carrots and you're like, mm, mm, and you're never going to get what he's dangling in front of your nose. Because it only serves one purpose, to distract you away from the reality and the goodness of God. He has your dreams. He has all the days of your life have been, there. he's holding them. And they're prepared. Things eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Things that will blow you in mind. Descriptive, methodical sets of divine appointments that he has for you. For you. They're, they're so precise. And that's why the devil wants you to use another name. If you have curly hair, you want to straighten it. If you're chubby, you want to be skinny. If you're skinny, you want to be chubby. You want to change your whole identity. It's because you don't know that God made you and has prepared great things for you and your children for a thousand generations if you don't compromise. So there's always been a multitude. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 2 verse 41 where Jesus goes into Jerusalem with his parents for the Passover feast. Every year, millions of Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And there, after the seven-day after the seven-day feasting, verse two, uh, 42, Jesus was 12 years old. Listen, we allow you to start coming into the sanctuary and stop being in Sunday school when you're 12. Because at 12, you could start choosing the best, even if your parents don't. Even if your parents want to compromise. You can say, I want to be one in a million. And so there it was, he was in Jerusalem at 12. And when the multitude had left, 
This is amazing. Verse 43, when the feast ended, when they had finished the days, seven days, and they returned, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Every million went back, and there was one 12-year-old that said, I want more of God, more than my parents, more than the multitude that came. And they came back looking for Jesus. One amongst a multitude. One in a great crowd. And they found him. The Bible says in verse 44. Supposing him to have been in the great multitude. For him to be just like everybody else. They went a day's journey. Let's keep on. Let's go. He's, he must be among some friends. He's with the crowd. No. He's where the father's heart is. He's, they, they find out he's not with the crowd. He's not with the multitude. Verse 45, when they failed to find him in a day's journey, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. And after three days, they probably went to all the bowling alleys and the video game stores, and, and they were going everywhere. You know where they found him? In the house of God. They found him in the temple of the Lord. They found him inquiring amongst the wise men. It was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of wise men, listening to them and asking them questions. I want to know God. I want to have a personal relationship. I don't want to miss God. I want to be filled with his purpose in my life. And when they inquired of him why he did this, verse 47, they were all astonished. They couldn't believe that the guy was trying to find real answers. And all who heard him were freaking out. In verse 48 it says, Then his parents saw him, and they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why are you like this? Your father and I are going crazy looking for you. And the answer was this, verse 49, He said to him, How is it that you had looked for me? Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Don't you know that I need to be attending to, to God first and then everything else later? This is, not, this is not, by the way, promoting rebellion. Some of you guys see he didn't listen to his parents either. That's not what he's saying. He's saying for you to see God, for you to make it yours, even though you're young, forget about it. For, when this little three-year-old comes and says, hey, pastor, my mom left the house and we don't know where she's at. I said, it don't matter. Let's pray for her first. Father, in Jesus' name, convict her heart and bring her home. But in Jesus' name, make this little prince a world changer. Yes. I don't care what the parents decide to do. The children have to stand up and be real Christians, authentic Christians, passionate about God. And so in the multitude, you could ask God, let me be like Jesus. Let me be like the Lord. Let me be real. Let me be authentic. People would go into Jerusalem to be part of celebration. It had nothing to do with God. Yay, it's celebration time. Now I get to go out to the Sea of Galilee and surf or do God knows what. Not Jesus. He was connected to his Father. In the midst of the multitude, he wasn't playing games. He wasn't playing church. Matthew 13, verse 1. Jesus again came out of his house and sat at the Sea of Galilee. Comes out of his house and see, sits at the Sea of Galilee. Verse 2 says, a great multitude was there. Say with me, great multitude. They were all gathered to listen to him on the boat. 
Verse 10, and the disciples came and says, why do you speak in parables? You know, when you share, we don't understand. He says, this is not for people who are goofing off. You're not going to get it on the first shake. You're not going to get it on your first time you sit down in church and call it boring. These are for the people that really want it. And I speak in parables. So only those who really want it go for it. I'm not going to give it to anybody. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It has been given to you to know, but to them it has not been given. God is not going to put the most precious and the most incredible in the hands of a fool. He wants somebody who wants it. Somebody who pays the price. Somebody who works for it in regards of exercising spirituality. These false devotees to foreign gods spend hours. They're trying to get in the same spirit with false spirits. How about you? I love when it says in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13. He says like this, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You can't just show up on Sunday and say, I went to church on Sunday, I didn't find God, I don't know God, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I'm going. You, You need to follow him closely. It's not for the multitude. It's not for the crowd. It's not for those that are, that are just despising the portions of God. Mark chapter 10 verse 46. Uh, the crowd was great in the city of Jericho. Mark 10 46. They came to Jericho and he went out to Jericho with his disciples. A great multitude. In the mix of a big, sometimes we feel lost in a world of too many people. But I'm giving you tidbits that you can grab onto to be one in a million and there it was in the midst of the crowd huge multitude that there was a disciple a great multitude Um, he says there was a man named Bartimaeus who was blind and he was there next to the road the disciples with Jesus the multitude is great Bartimaeus has a need verse 47 And when he heard that Jesus was coming, that he was within reach, he began to cry out loud, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes I I feel that the Lord wants us to call out upon him. Call out upon him. We don't call out upon him. We curse, we, we rant, we yell, we curse people out. We, we, we profane, we have bad words, we get upset, we get depressed, we even commit suicide. But we never call out upon the name of the Lord. And this man is sitting there on the side in the midst of the crowd. And obviously what happens next is they tell him, shh. Verse 48. Many severely rebuked him, warned him to be quiet. Shh, hey, you don't have, shh, hey, shh. And he cried all the more, louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know. Listen to me. If you've been a Christian for some time, sometimes you have to be alone in your house, alone, in your car, alone, in the bathroom, alone, and just yell at the top of your lungs, God, I need you. My family needs you to call upon God and then see what happens. 
Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call upon the name of the Lord. Call all the more louder. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Come out and yell for your God. And be one in a million like Bartimaeus when he called. And they said, shh. And Jesus stopped. Mark 10, 48, 49. Mark 10, 49. Jesus stopped and said to him, get him over here. And they called the blind man saying, take courage, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his garments, he leaped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? You got my attention. And the blind man said to his master, let me receive my sight. Let me see what I'm not seeing. Let me find what I'm looking for. Calling out amongst a generation that's not calling out. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And at once he received his sight. And he followed Jesus on the road. Lord, let me see that I might follow. Let me see that I might serve. John 6, verse 1. The Bible says they were across on the farthest sea of the Sea of Galilee. And verse 2, it says that this great multitude followed him. A great crowd because of all the signs he performed and all the diseases that he healed. And in the midst of this great, vast multitude, it was approaching nighttime and the... The Bible says in verse 5, Jesus looked at them and seeing that the vast multitude, the huge group of people, they were, they were hungry. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Let's feed the crowd. Let's feed the multitude. Verse 6, and he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. And in the vast multitude trying to find food, verse 9, one in a million who was it? There was a little boy, a little child who had five loaves and two fish. And that was sufficient to feed the multitude. There was one young man on that day willing to be generous. If he would have been Cuban, he would have hid because his grandmother would have taught him. Don't share your fish. Don't share your bread. This is for us. This is for the family that we might eat and we shall die. And people hate the comparison that we have with Latinos. And Latinos are the most miserable people on the earth because they refuse to be filled with the spirit of generosity. Amen. We're pirates and plunderers. We've, we're always coming, drawing near if we could take or if we could get. But never when there's a call to be able to be generous. Never when there is a call to, to be one in a million. I praise God. For the Spirit of God that falls upon Latinos. The Spirit of God that falls upon those that are making a difference. I said, Pastor, all those trips you go to Latin America, they must pay you very well. You no, know, my friend, I'm giving of the generous portions of His abundance in my life. When we publish these books, somebody's putting the money out there. Because they're not being stingy. They're not looking for their own interest. They're looking to bless someone else. I tell people all the time, get your book for what is a man, but then buy 10 more books and give them out to your friends that they might have hope, that they might be, find themselves in the light of God's word and truth, and you might set free a multitude. This young man there, in Luke chapter 8, verse 43, a woman having an issue of blood. And in the midst of, of that multitude, there was one who says, if I could only really touch him, 
If I could grab the border of his garment, verse 44. If I could be the one, came from behind and touched the border of his garments, and immediately she was healed. Immediately her condition that she had for a long time. Verse 45, Jesus says, who touched me? And when all said it wasn't us, Peter said, Lord, there's a multitude here. There's a lot of people. How do you say who touched me? He says, no, there was one person who really broke through. There was one person that needed me. There's one person that wanted me. There's one person that believed that I could do it. One amongst the multitude. Somebody who would say, if I could only touch the border of his garments, if I could only participate. And Jesus says, somebody's touched me. Verse 47, when the women saw that she was not hidden anymore, she came trembling, falling down to her knees and declared unto him before all the people what causes she had to touch him and how she was healed immediately. And he looked at her and he said, daughter, be of good courage. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. You wanting to be one amongst a crowd, one amongst a multitude, one amongst a large, numerous amount of people. You wanted to be the real one. You wanted to be the one who had the experience with God. You wanted to be John who, who laid his head on the Lord's chest to be intimate amongst all the disciples. He was the only one. He would write in all his letters, the, uh, I'm writing the one that Jesus loved. He felt that he, amongst the millions, was the one that God embraced and loved. And some of us feel, we're the only one Jesus doesn't like. We're the only one he didn't die for. We're the only one that don't get the Holy Spirit. We're the only one. The Bible says that he will cause his spirit to fall on all flesh in the last days. All flesh means all flesh. Even though the devil tells you you're not the one. You got to stand up and say, Lord, I receive what you have promised. I, I will walk like Bartimaeus and like Jesus. Luke 21, 1, it says he looked upon uh, all the rich people going all over to the offering plate. They're all going to give money. Uh, some of you have never seen that, but over there is not a complaint box. That's called a tithe and offering box. That means you, during the week, show your generosity to your God. Even though a million people don't, you will. Because you acknowledge that everything you have comes from God. And he says, test me now in this. If you're faithful, if you walk in, in right stewardship. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury box. And the Bible says that as he saw there, verse 2, he saw a certain poor widow. A specific one amongst all those that were there putting her two mites. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than everyone else. All of these have put out of their abundance. They're just dropping in leftovers. But God, uh, she out of her poverty put in her entire livelihood. Verse 4. Her entire, she put in all she had. She says, Lord, I don't want to live another day if you don't live with me. I don't want to go forward and try to prosper on my own strength. Either God will establish you, raise you up, make you fruitful and multiply, or you're just wasting your time. The Bible says in the last days, 2 Timothy 4.2, the time is coming and now is that the people will not suffer sound teaching. 
They're not going to put up verse 3. For the time will come where the great majority will not want to live genuine, legitimate Christianity. Have you heard people put all sorts of, of parentheses and exclusions? I had one devil of a, of a Christian man say, I go to church like if it was a buffet. I only eat what I have an appetite for. It's all about me. I only take, this is like going to a buffet. I only take the portions that, that I have an appetite for. And that's sick. That we might have a desire for the portions of God. God, give me what you want from me. Make me like the prodigal son and not, not getting everything. Give me what, I, what you want me to become according to. The time will come they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they want to scratch their itch, they will heap up for themselves teachers that will teach them the things they want to hear. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from truth. So a whole million people saying, we're going to go listen to, to some classical music. We're going to go listen to some soft friendly stuff we don't want to uh, there's a verse there in ecclesiastes that says i'd rather listen to a rebuke of a wise man than the song of a fool let's look that up please in ecclesiastes there i'd rather listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the songs of fools who's singing to you my friend who's making it so pleasant to not be radical for Christ, to not be intense, to not be one in a million that is saying, I'll be the person to take God serious. Ecclesiastes 7.5, thank you. This is a powerful verse. It's better to hear the rebuke of a wise man. How many feel they're getting rebuked this morning? God is rising you up to be, make a world changer, yes. to be a difference, to come a, 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 away from the crowd that's mediocre, that's compromising, that's negotiating, that thinks they're cool. I'd rather hear the rebuke of a wise man than to be a man that hears the song of fools. The song of fools. Don't give God your time. Don't give God your energies. Don't give God your treasure. Don't give God your talents. Spend them all on you. So you can see what a miserable man is. Verse 4, 2 Timothy 4, 5. I'm sorry, 4, 5. While everybody else is turning away, it says, But as for you, but you be watchful. Endure afflictions. Put up with suffering for serving Christ. For living for God. Do the work to tell everybody about being one in a million. Fulfill your ministry while everybody's being lost everywhere. You stand your ground and be faithful to God. Serve him without excuses. Serve him without compromise, bitterness, or complaining. The Bible says so that you might be seen as a son of God amongst a perverse and crooked generation. While everybody else is twisted. You're standing strong. Matthew 24, 37, it says, As were the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the Son of Man, the last days. As it was in the days of Noah. You know what happened in the days of Noah. There was a multitude of people mocking Noah. A multitude of people saying, You're too, you're too radical, Noah. You're too intense. 
What do you mean talking to God? What do you mean listening to God? What do you mean following his commandments? What do you mean? Until the day was closed and they all were swept away. It says the people there in verse 38, those days the people before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah went into the ark. In verse 39, they did not know. They did not understand. We're talking about that on Wednesday. If you guys are missing Wednesday, you're missing God's goodness. You ask a person nowadays what's going on and they go, and yeah, and yeah. You're supposed to know. What do you mean you don't know? If you don't know, then find out. You guys married? I don't know. She thinks we are. I don't know. And so there it is. They did not know until the flood came. They weren't able to judge a situation. This word today is for you, my friend. Yes. This word is for you yes. to, to cross the line already, to make a decision. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. That, that, that day two men will be on the field. There's millions out there in Miami working. One will be taken. And the other great multitude left behind. Verse 41. Two will be in the uh, women grinding at the mill. You're like, well, she doesn't do it. But she's never going to do it. Is that your standard? Is that your standard? Rise up and be alone and be the only one to serve God and be the example. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 42. Watch, therefore. Give strict attention. Take this radical, for you do not know what kind of day the Lord your God is coming. As we go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, The Lord saw all the twisted men upon the earth. Every single imagination and intention of the human heart was towards selfishness. Towards evil continually. So if, if I have schedule, I'll do it. If I have time, I'll do it. How about you forgetting about your schedule and forgetting about your time and doing it? How about that? How about telling your other things that you have to serve God first? That the kingdom of God is a priority. It's not something down the road of your priority in time. They were continually excusing themselves. Verse 6. And the Lord was sorry he had made these bunch of men. And he was grieved to the heart. The sentiment of God when he sees mediocre, lukewarm men. He vomits them out of his mouth. And the Bible says in verse 7, the Lord said, I'll destroy. I'll wipe out. I'll blot out mankind whom I've created. Not only man, but the beast that creep upon the earth. And it grieves me and makes me sorrowful for that I have made them. Verse 8, but one man, one man among a million. And God saw and poured out his grace. His eyes were upon Noah. Verse 9, this is the history of the generations of Noah. He was a just and righteous man, blameless in an evil generation. Why was he blameless? Because while nobody wanted to walk with God, Noah walked with God. While nobody wanted to see what God desired, there's a young man here, Yoah, who, who, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to live for you. I want to show forth your desire in my heart. One in all of Dade County with respect to art and, and, and creativity. And God is looking in Genesis chapter 7. 
No, let, I'm sorry. Let's go to Genesis 6.22. Noah did. Listen. Noah did. Say did. did. He didn't think and he didn't feel. He did all that God commanded him to do. He didn't just leave it as a, I wish one day, or I think one day, or maybe somehow. He did what God commanded him to do. Another verse says he obeyed God in everything. Genesis 7.1. And so one family, because of one man amongst a million, one family among a million. The Lord said to Noah, come in the ark, you and your family. Because I have seen your righteousness before me in this huge multitude and generations of people. I've seen you. I've noticed you. I love the story of Chris. A man of excellence. He's, he says, boss says, prepare a five-minute presentation. You're going to give it to an important person. And so he's, he puts it together. He doesn't complain. He doesn't say, I'm going to call in sick at work. He doesn't say, let somebody else do it. He doesn't say, let somewhere else go find it. He prepares. And at the end of the day, they put him in a, in a big SUV Cadillac, black tinted windows. They drive him over to a mansion in Miami. He gets out of the car. He wonders who it is. He, they open the door and inside that private room is the president of the United States of America. One man amongst a million sitting down to, to have prepared what God entrusted him with, with excellence. Well, when they tell me I'm going to meet the president, then I'll get, listen, they're never going to tell you. God is looking for faithful men. God is looking for men that prepare when they don't even know what they're preparing for. You amongst a million. And that was Noah. He didn't know about no ark. He didn't know about salvation. He just wanted to walk and obey God. Not because of a reward. The reward came as a result of his character. Verse 5. His family got saved and the witness of God was this. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. How many times are you going to have to be told what you need to do? And you know why it needs to be repetitive and you even forget? And it has to be told to you again and you forget and it's told to you again? Because you don't have a heart for God. You don't have a heart to be one in a million. And God is calling you to understand that is what he's called us to be. Let's stand up this morning and say, God, transform my heart. Open heart surgery this morning. Take my wicked heart that gives you leftovers and give me a heart of generosity. Give me a heart with your spirit in it. And listen, you don't need to defend yourself when God is defending you. You don't need to protect and claim who you are because all heaven will know who you are. The angels, the witnesses, the millions that are upon the throne of God look into these matters. They're trying to find out who's real, who's authentic. And don't be impressed with the world. The world doesn't, is not impressed by you being faithful to God. They have no awards upon the earth saying these are the faithful of God. But in heaven, my friend, you will shine like the stars of the firmament. No one will take your glory. No one will take what is yours. 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised. Do not wonder why there's no prizes and they don't look for faithful men upon the earth. The most wicked, depraved, twisted men upon the earth are the ones that come out in the magazines, newspapers, and television. My friend, God is reserving a glory for you and I that will outshine the sun, that will outshine the stars and the moon. 
do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Do not be surprised. I'm so glad for the message of the gospel that sets us apart to be one in a million, different, totally. As you receive this message as from the Lord, because trust me, I'm not that good. I'm not that good. This is God all the way. 